This morning we're going to be continuing in our series uh, about the ten plagues, and so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 7, is where we're going to be. The title of the message this morning is God of Life, God of Life. We're going to be talking about the first plague today, and so we have uh, kind of, the last two weeks we've talked about and got to that point of, of getting to the plagues, right, and how we talked last week about how Pharaoh could have not gone through the plagues of Egypt, and yet he did because of his hardened heart. And so now we're going to start in on, on what the, these plagues are. And so if you would stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. We're going to cover the whole section of uh, the, the plague of blood, but we're just going to read, the, read about five verses here. So starting in verse 14 is where we're going to be. Where the Lord says this. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he, gives out, as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink, and Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. God, thank you that you're so good to us. And Father, I pray, Lord, that your hand would just be with us today. Lord, that those who would have an ear, let them hear the declaration of your word. Let it not be my word spoken, but yours spoken through me. All to your glory, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And so Moses has come to this place, and, and Pharaoh has come to this place where, where he's not letting the people of Israel go. And, and we, we just got done talking about and seeing the, the instance of Aaron and Moses before Pharaoh a second time, and, and, and Aaron's staff turning into a serpent and devouring all of the other staffs of, of the, the magicians. And yet Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. And so now we, we see that God is beginning to pour out His wrath and His judgment upon Egypt to show that He is God. To, and that, that's the whole point of really all ten of these plagues. And, and really the entirety of, of this entire series is, is showing that the Lord is who He says He is. That He is God. That He is greater than any other God. That He is the one and only God. The supreme God. In this passage, God speaks to Moses, and he says, it's because Pharaoh's heart is unyielding that I'm going to do this. Pharaoh should have said, Pharaoh should have got the hint during the second time with all of the serpents, but he didn't. And so instead, it's because his heart is unyielding that God now is going to strike the Nile. 
Pharaoh's heart being unyielding, the literal translation of this, this unyielding or heaviness is is literally heavy or dull. It's like a lump of lead. That's kind of the the point that it's supposed to be. It's it's so hard. It's so dense. It's so heavy that that it's, it's really difficult to pick it up. It's really difficult for his heart to to feel anything else other than a certain way. And yet God is trying to show Pharaoh who he is. God is trying to reveal to Pharaoh who he is as God Almighty and also who Pharaoh is as not a God, (laughs) that he's only a man. And he says that he will strike the Nile. This term, striking, this is actually a term that's used for all of the plagues. And, and I think it, it connotes this understanding that we must have is that God is the one that is doing it. That, that this is not just some natural phenomena that's happening. This isn't just some natural happenstance or pure luck that this is going on, but this is actually God that is the one who's doing this. It is God who is striking the Nile. It is, there is no other way to explain what is happening other than God is the one that is doing it. See, the Nile, and, and we may think, okay, well, why is the Nile so important? Well, the Nile is actually the most important part of Egypt, of, of all of Egypt. You understand where Egypt or the, the capital of Egypt is planted. It's at the Nile Delta before it, it goes into the sea. And this is a, a very rich and fertile place to, to plant crops. In fact, uh, those Egyptians would, would actually, uh, the priests of, of Egypt would actually monitor uh, the, the Nile because it's really easy to monitor the Nile's flood stage and then uh, receding stage and all of those things. And, and they would monitor it and that's how they would get such bountiful crops. Because they were able to, to monitor the Nile and how it would flood and how it would, would then deposit this, this beautiful silt all around their farmland to be able to, for them to grow uh, luscious crops. The Nile brought life to everything in Egypt. And without the Nile, nothing could survive. It was also considered a god. Uh, and the Egyptian god Hopi was, uh, was the Egyptian god for water, and that, that was known, the Nile was known to be his dwelling place, his habitation. And so not only was, was the Nile something that was a social, economic, and, and survival kind of standpoint and, and importance, it also was a spiritual importance to the Egyptians. This was the, the main God. This was, this was the, the big one. This was, this was something that without it, 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 nobody could live. It was said that the Nile was considered to be the father of life and the mother of all men. And so without the Nile, you have no life. You have no humanity. And so by God striking the Nile, he was declaring power over the very life of the Egyptians. It wasn't just simply that he was, he was just showing himself to be powerful. What he was doing is he was saying, hey, the, the lifeblood, quote unquote, no pun intended, of the entirety of Egypt is the Nile, and even I have power over that. And so what does God do? He turns it to blood. The word used for blood here is, is the Hebrew word dom which that word is used multiple times throughout the Old Testament. 
And most of the time, it's specifically talking about blood, actual blood, the blood of animals, the blood of, the blood of man, the, the blood of humans. And so it's actually blood. And I, I think it's really important for us to understand this, that, that this entire uh, narrative that's going on should be taken literally. The, the blood that is, that the, the Nile, the river that is being turned to blood is actually being turned to blood. This is not some um, naturalistic, again, phenomena that happens. This isn't just some, some by chance. You know, some scholars or, or some individuals that are more naturalistic in their beliefs and understanding would, would begin to, uh, to reason this away, saying that, well, there, there has been some different things that, that we can see, that we can map out throughout history of, of red clay falling into the Nile. And so the Nile then turns red because of all this red clay that's within it or or you know what there's actually these these things that that further on down or further on upstream in the Nile you can find that there's there's sometimes these these giant kind of explosions of red algae or red shrimp that 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 end up red plankton that end up uh, going into the Nile and so it turns it all red and so therefore that's what really happened it wasn't actually literal blood but but Scripture is very clear. It, it wasn't like blood. It was blood. And Scripture, I think, would have made that distinction if it wasn't blood. It would have been the, the Nile would have turned like blood, but no, it was turned to blood. And it's not just that. We, we can even see the, the understanding of that too. If, if reddish clay were to fall into the river, it wouldn't have killed all of the fish. If the algae would have taken over the river, it, it probably wouldn't have killed all of the fish. And yet, all of the fish died, and not only that, but it stunk. There was the smell of death, not just because of the dead fish, but also because of all of the blood. Just imagine never being able to get rid of that stench. And this is what the first plague is. It's even documented in Egyptian writings around the time of the Exodus that we see that even the Egyptians said that at one time the entire Nile turned to blood and nobody could drink because they would just end up even more thirsty because they were drinking blood. Now later on, if we continue to read the rest of this account of the first plague, we'll see that the magicians are able to replicate what has happened, and I don't know if, if that was actually blood or not. It just says that they, they were able to do it, and, and so even that, the, the understanding again, just like we talked about last week, is that the magicians and, and the Egyptian scholars that are there, the, the, uh, these quote-unquote miracle workers for Pharaoh, they were ones that were formidable adversaries of Moses and Aaron. That's the whole point of this. Isn't that that they are supposed to be stronger or any of those things? It's not to provide comedic relief, any of those things. What it is supposed to provide is us an understanding of they have power too, and yet God's power is greater. I also find it interesting that even, even this and a couple other and a couple more of the plagues they're able to replicate, but they always add to it. They never take away from it. The, the power of the magicians is simply just to do it, to copy exactly what Moses and Aaron do. It's never to reverse it. 
Now, if, if you were going to sit there and you were going to say that my gods have power over your God, wouldn't it be better if you were to reverse the Nile turning into blood than just putting more blood into the Nile? Because that's what happened. Now, these individuals, they just simply added to it. They're simply adding to the issue because they want to show that they have that same power. And yet at the same time, they show themselves really to be powerless because they just simply replicate what Moses and Aaron are doing. And as I read through this, the, the most interesting thing about this entire account of, of the Nile turning to blood was one verse, and, and it's really the, a part of a verse that I think is so interesting. And I've, I've always read it, and I've kind of looked over it a lot of times. And, and during just my study and my prayer time, the Lord kind of was just like, hey, you should look at this. And so it's in verse 19. Verse 19 talks about how every single thing is going to be filled with blood. He says this in, in verse 19, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt. And then he says, over the streams and canals. And then he says, over the ponds and all the reservoirs. And they will turn to blood. And then he says, the blood will be everywhere. This is what gets me. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. And so all of a sudden, you're at home, you got a nice iced pitcher of water, maybe a couple lemons in there, and then boom, it's blood. This isn't just the river that's turned to blood. This isn't just their, their reservoirs of water. This isn't just the water tower that says Egypt as you're coming in. That, that's, that it's, not just, it's not just those things. It's every single thing that holds water turned to blood. This is crazy to see the reach of God, the power of God. It's not just simply the river. You, you, you have to go and, and, and drink your, your two-week-old water instead of getting fresh water from the Nile. It's, no, even that water is turned to blood too. That there is nowhere you can go in Egypt for water. Nowhere you can go for a refreshing glass of water. It's all blood. How interesting is that? That God not only took it to that place, that moment of showing His power over the Nile, over, over the gods of the Nile, over all of those things, showing His power over the life of the Egyptians, but He takes it a step further and said, no, 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 it's not just the Nile that I have power over. It's every single vessel, every little thing. There was nowhere that you could go for a glass of water. And it got me thinking. There's places and, and there's vessels that are used to, to hold water and, and some of those things. Every single one of them in Egypt was turned to blood. And in other places, we see vessels turned to other things from water. And it made me wonder, and, and kind of my question this morning for us is, what's in your vessel? What's in your vessel? See, if, if every single one of us is a vessel, as, as Scripture would talk to us and, and, and kind of declare us as individuals as vessels or a temple of the Holy Spirit or dwelling place, 
And so we hold something. And so the question is, what are you holding? In Romans chapter 9, verses 22 and 23, this is oftentimes a a passage that is uh, difficult to interpret. But it says this, it says, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? What is he saying? What's being said here? What's being said here is, is we are all vessels. And some of us inside that vessel is a mark of God's wrath, blood. And others are are a showing of God's mercy. You know, God has, has also, Jesus has also turned water into something. In John chapter 2, he's at, a, he's at a wedding and they run out of wine. And so Jesus, he, he goes and he asks the servants to fill the jars with water. It says this, So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. And so what has Jesus done? He's taken a vessel of water, And he's made it into something good. And so God has the power to take what's in the vessel and make it blood, but also make it wine. I think that's so important for us to understand. And the question again is what's in your vessel? You see, each and every one of us are holding something. The reason for us, maybe you'd sit there and and you came into this place and you feel like your vessel is just full of God's wrath. Maybe it's full of blood. You cannot be quenched. You feel like you've constantly been clawing and fighting and all of those things and, and you cannot get out of this and the vessel that you have is full of blood and yet the Lord is here today simply to take that away. See, the point of every single one of these plagues, and we'll get into it later, as far as Pharaoh's response to some of these plagues, but the point of every single one of these plagues is to move Egypt to repentance. It's for them to recognize who God is so that they can release Israel. It's to lead them to repentance, lead them to, to not, no longer being hard-hearted, but to allow Israel to be released so that they can go and be free to worship God. And so some of us in this place, you may be sitting there and, and the vessel that you are carrying is full of blood, full of something that is not good, feels like wrath, feels like something that is broken. Maybe your heart is broken. Maybe something you came in with. 
and the response to that vessel being full of blood is repentance. Because the plague only lasted seven days. What that means is that God didn't just turn the Nile to blood. He also turned it back to water. (laughs) And so in the same way, the vessel that you have can be turned back to something good. Maria, you can come. And so I wonder who of us in here have come in You would say, Pastor, my, the vessel that I have is full of blood. Or maybe you'd sit there and say that my, my vessel is full of water. You know, water is just simply a, a, an opportunity for the Lord to work. At least in this analogy. So just bear with me, okay? It's just simply an opportunity for the Lord to work. It's a, it's a clean slate. It's a, it's, a, it's a blank canvas for the Lord. And so it it is something that quenches thirst, but it's not necessarily something that is celebrated. But as Jesus turned water into wine, it was a celebration. Why? Not because it was just some old wine that they brought out, but it was the good stuff. It's like sometimes, and I know some of us, you know, maybe on a diet or whatever that looks like, but sometimes it, it's, it's good not just to get water at, at a restaurant. Sometimes it's, you got to get that sweet tea, you know what I'm saying? And, you, and, and the thing is, is that even, you know, I, I'm from Missouri, and so it's like the north of the south, so it's almost south. And the thing is, is that their sweet tea is sweeter than up here because I don't think northerners know how to make sweet tea all that well. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. I'd be welcome to be, you know, a guinea pig for any of your wants to make sweet tea. But you go down south and you get sweet tea and it's almost like all you taste is sugar. And there's, there's moments when it's, it's, man, you just, it just hits different. Sometimes you, you, you just say, you know, I, I just can't, I can drink water and maybe I should drink water, but I just want to get just, just a glass of sweet tea. It'd be really nice right now. And it just hits different. Or maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's a Coke. Maybe it's a, uh, a Dr. Pepper. Maybe it's a, a cherry Pepsi. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's just that that moment of of what is something that you'd rather have other than water, not because water is bad, but because there's something worth celebrating. There's this special occasions kind of thing. And so I I just really want us this morning, and and we'll, we'll take communion in a moment, But I just simply want us to ask the Lord to make our vessels a place for celebration. Make who we are 
into something good. And maybe again, you've come into this place and you feel like the only things that you've been doing is fighting. The only things that you've been doing is struggling. And you've been, you've been even struggling to keep your head above water, it feels like. You, you feel like you're at the end of the rope. Whatever, that, whatever euphemism you want to use. And maybe you feel like you're lost and you have nowhere to go. You have no direction to move in. And your vessel, if you're being real and honest, is not filled with water, but it's filled with blood. That it does no good, it, it stinks, it doesn't quench, it doesn't, doesn't help in any way. And the choice that you have is to continue to be that or turn to the Lord and let him cleanse you. That's the choice that you have. You have a choice to either sit in that wrath, sit in that junk, sit in that brokenness, sit in that struggle all of the time. And I'm not saying that turning to Jesus makes everything unicorns and rainbows. That's not the way that it works. A life with Jesus is not an easier life, but it is a better one. And some of you, you've been trying the Jesus life. And I emphasize trying because you're not actually doing it. You go to church and you go through the motions and you sing the songs and you raise your hands when you're supposed to. You bow your head when you're supposed to. And yet the vessel that you're carrying is brokenness, is heartache, is hurt, is not life-giving whatsoever. Maybe it's bitterness. And today Jesus wants to take that vessel and he wants to purify it and he wants to make it back into water so that he so that he can work on it. And maybe some of you today, you just sit there and say, you know what, my, I'm just a blank canvas. That's all I am. That's all I feel like I am. Nothing special. I'm just here. And yet God wants to take that water in the vessel. And just as Jesus did, make it into something that is worth celebrating. The Lord wants to take your story and redeem it into something that's worth sharing. God wants to take all of your hardships, every single thing that you've ever done. He doesn't just simply want to heal you. He wants to make you, he wants to help you flourish. There's a difference. You've heard me say this before, but God doesn't just save us from something from wrath from sin from the wages of sin from death but he also saves us to something and that saving us to something is worth celebrating that he saves us to a new life 
that he saves us to stronger days, that he, that he saves us to, to a, a more powerful move of his spirit, that he, that he saves us to blessing, that he saves us to favor, that he saves us to all of these things that are good and worthy of us thinking about, worthy of our attention, worthy of us celebrating. And the only thing we have to do is to offer the vessel. It is not about you. It's about what God can do in you and through you. It's not by your own power. You will try all you can. Again, just like the magicians. They just added to the problem. They didn't take it away. They just added blood to blood. They didn't change the blood back to water. Sometimes we can struggle so much that we want to get ourselves out of this. We believe the lie of the enemy that it's by our own power, by our own works, by our own strength that we're able to do it. And simply God's response is, no, 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 it's simply by my spirit that you can do this. So I don't know where you're at today. My hope is that all of us would move to a place we are vessels for the Lord to celebrate. We are vessels of his power, vessels of his redemption, vessels of his love and his mercy and his grace. That we become more and more like him every day. We become vessels of that light that Vicki had a word about. the thing is this people don't want to drink from a vessel of blood and in the same way that's exactly like us as well you want to see your family come to know the Lord don't be a vessel of blood want to see your neighbors come to know the Lord be a vessel of the good stuff you want to see your family come to know the Lord you want to see all of these things happen it's not about you being that vessel of blood it doesn't work nobody wants to drink from it nobody wants to come to it a well that runs dry is worthless but Jesus is the well that never will run dry drink from him and we never quench we're always quenched we never thirst again so for us today we're just going to pray and I'm not going to ask for a big come forward or any of those things I'm just I just want to seal this with a prayer on our hearts and we'll go we'll take communion together but I just want us to to seal it in our hearts Lord make me a vessel of redemption, of your power, of whatever that may be. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, just simply ask the Lord. You know, this is between him and you. This isn't about 
anybody else. This isn't about the person next to you. It's not about who you came with. It's just between him and you. And just simply ask, Lord, make me a vessel that is full of things to celebrate, full of good things that people want to be around, that want to drink from, because it gives life.